In this week's episode of Zen Founder, Sherry interviews none other than Jason Freed of Basecamp. It's a really good interview. Sherry talks to Jason about all manner of things ranging from family life to you know, building a company slowly and deliberately. One thing that I really like about Jason is just how genuine he is and how, he really doesn't have anything to hide. I met him for the first time in person at MicroConf just a few months ago and I was struck by just how normal he is. Given his amazing success with Basecamp and his numerous New York Times bestsellers and everything he's accomplished in his life, we just had a conversation about life and about kids and family and where we lived and just normal day-to-day things. And I liked that he was real and that carried on to the stage. I hosted a moderated Q&A where I asked him questions about his history and growing base camp and, and what he thinks of bootstrapping today and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And he, he just answered the questions. And it, that sounds so simple, but so much of the time when you are around people who have had success, especially in certain circles, I'll say um, startup circles are notorious for this, people are puffing up their chests and they're saying things that make them look good or, or they come up with this you know, a theory so that they can name it after themselves or something, or you see someone on a panel and they're, you know that their business isn't doing great and they're saying all these things like they know everything. And that's not at all, A, that's not what MicroConf is is about. And B, that's not what Jason was about at all. He was just about talking from his experience. And that's something that I really respect about him and, and others who I know who are successful but they let their success talk for them. They don't you know, sit there and, and trumpet it themselves. And so with that, let's get started with the interview. I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host. I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs. And I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So I, um, I gave a talk at a conference about a year ago and at the end of the conference, people were sort of sharing their take home and they were like, what did you get out of the, you know, this two days of content? And, you know, it made me feel good, but a number of people were like, Sherry's talk about sleep is the thing I'm going to take home from this, you know, $2,500 conference that I invested in for my business. And I spent 20 minutes talking about the importance of sleep for having a sound mind that works well at work. And I know that's something that you've spent apparently a lot of time thinking about, or you just knew intuitively, but what is the deal with sleep? Why is it so easy for people to rationalize cheating ourselves out of it? Well, first, the only thing, the only reason I know anything about it, there's two reasons, or actually three reasons. One is I have two young kids at home. And when I was not getting sleep, like our kids sleep through the night now, so we're okay. But when they weren't, I was just a wreck. Like this is anecdotal, right? This is one person's, but I know every parent deals with the same thing. You're, you're just a wreck. If you don't get a good night's sleep, you are a mess. You're, you're impatient. You're difficult to deal with. You can't think straight. You can't remember things well. You're, you're not a pleasure to be around, let's say. And so that's, that's true when you, um, when you lack sleep. And then you, you know, start to think about this thing, start to sleep better. And you see that your mood changes and everything changes and your abilities change. And you start to be a little bit more creative and more thoughtful and put together better sentences and the whole thing. So that's another data point. And then you read a book. I read this book called Why We Sleep, mm-hmm. um, which is probably the most important book I read last year. And uh, it's long, but it's, it's wonderful. I think the guy's name is Matthew Walker, who wrote it. And it goes deep into the science behind sleep. And, and, and it's really amazing because I'm always terrible with like remembering scientific facts. You get, you are significantly, or let's say you're at a significant disadvantage if you even get only six hours a night. So most people think about sleep deprivation like, well, you know, four hours, five hours. No, even at six, it's six hours, which is what most people actually end up kind of getting. You are severely impaired. 
creatively, your sort of your ability to, to reason, your reaction times, a whole slew of things kind of go down the drain pretty quickly. And um, it's just amazing at six hours. So you read that too. And on top of your own personal experience and you read that and the science, you're like, sleep is incredibly important. And then the other thing I like, uh, the other point that he makes, which I think is really interesting, is that evolutionarily, you'd think we would have phased sleep out because it puts you at such a risk, right? Sure. Like you're unconscious for, for a third of the day. While um, the bears and tigers are prowling, by the way. Exactly, they're awake. Right? <laughs> and so you're like, this should not have lasted if it, didn't, if it wasn't valuable. But in fact, it's so valuable that um, it's worth basically being unconscious a third of the day for the risks that the, that the pros so far outweigh the cons. Um, so I think that's another interesting point about it as well. But why do people? I mean, I yeah, guess why? Like, why? People... Like, yes, I'm with you. The logic is there. The science is there. I think most, like, relatively warm or like relatively well informed people are aware that they probably should sleep more. Yet yeah. it's one of the first things that I see founders, high performers, whoever throw away when yeah. they feel. I think they feel like it's wasteful. Yeah. You know, they're like, why, why should I spend a third of my day doing nothing? Like I'm productive. I need to be doing something. I need to be reading. I need to be watching a TV show. I need to be working. I need to be doing stuff. Why, why would I, why would I throw away this time? And in fact, like other people are sleeping. So if I'm working while they're sleeping, I'm going to get more done. There's this really perverse mentality around it. And uh, the thing is, is that typically people who are sleep deprived don't recognize it, but everyone else does. Mm-hmm. I mean, you recognize it when you're really sleep deprived, like when you're really flat out tired. But if you're moderately sleep deprived, which is what a lot of people are, they don't notice it just like maybe an alcoholic might not know they have a problem. Sure. Um, it's a similar thing. Everyone around them knows, you know, or an addict or whatever. Some, I mean, sometimes you do know, but most of the time you may not. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. I can handle it. I can handle it. Everyone else knows you can't handle it. Um, and so it's I think become so common. It's become common. And it's also become like a badge of honor for people to say, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Or, you know, like, I only got three hours of sleep last night. It's like, why are you joking about Like, why are you joking about that in a positive way? Like, you should be horrified actually about the fact that you're unable to sleep. And you shouldn't probably be driving. And you probably shouldn't be making any key decisions. And you probably shouldn't be managing other people and you probably shouldn't be interacting with other people if you're like that far down on your battery, basically. But yeah, I think it's it's convenient. It's an easy thing to to eat into because it can't really, it pushes back, but not completely. Yeah. So when someone starts working at Basecamp, how do you help them connect with the rest of the team? How does that happen? Yeah, well, we've gotten better at this. We, we were bad at it for quite a while. So one of the tricks, I'll, I'll kind of step back for a second. One of the tricks, one of the problems I should say that we have is that we're a remote company primarily. So we have four, 54 people in the company. There's a couple dozen of us, well, actually a dozen of us or so in Chicago, but most of the people work outside of Chicago. So if you're brand new and you live in Tennessee and you start with, at base camp, like you don't, normally you wouldn't see anybody, you wouldn't know anybody. It's mm-hmm. kind of really hard to get started that way. And we used to just start people that way. But um, now we bring people into, into, usually into Chicago, sometimes another city, but often in Chicago for a couple weeks if possible for the first two weeks. So they can get to know the people, get to know the team a little bit, get to know some people. And they're, all, they're also like kind of assigned a buddy essentially who's kind of someone who they can ask any question of and, and look out for. And then we also typically, we, we use this product called Know Your Company, which has now been, been renamed Know Your Team. But there's a really great feature called Icebreakers. And when anyone joins the company, they're asked to answer five questions. And the five questions are always the same. And they're just kind of social questions. And you're free to say whatever you want or, or not do them at all, of course. But whenever you answer them, they're sent out via email to everybody else in the company. And then everyone actually gets, and then the person who sent them out or who wrote them up and, and answered them actually gets back everyone else's questions that they answer when they first joined the company. So it's a really nice way to quickly just set the table a little bit and go, here are the people here. Here's some of the fundamental things. What do I might, you know, maybe I have this in common with this person or that in common with this person. And then we just kind of slowly, you know, bring you in and you always usually start working with a team of some sort. And so there's just more video conferencing in the initial, you know, few weeks just to kind of put a face to the name and a face to the voices. Yeah. Um, it's worked a lot better than, than before. We just kind of threw people in the deep end and said, figure it out, which was a big mistake of ours. We just kind of hadn't put any time into thinking, thinking it through. And also I should say our support team really pioneered a lot of these ideas for us. They've been great at onboarding people and the rest of the company was not quite as good. So we kind of followed their lead and do a lot of the things that they do. I mean, one of the strengths obviously of what 
you all have put together is that it, it really protects people's time to do their work, to be creative, to think, to engage with the tasks at hand. And as I was reading your book, which is fabulous, thank you, there were so many things about it that I was like, oh, this is so good for the human mind. But then the thing that I kept thinking in the back of my head is like, this sounds really isolating too. So it when you don't be. have, you know, meetings are, I appreciate a great waste of time, but they're also a great way for humans to see each other and connect together. So yeah, yeah, you said it can be, it can be a little isolating. It can be isolating. And that's something we have to battle from time to time. We also do other things like, so uh, there's a feature in Basecamp 3, which is called automatic check-ins and automatic check-ins will automatically ask questions of people on a regular basis. And then people write up their answers and they'll be shared back with the rest of the company. And so uh, every Monday morning, we base camp automatically asks everybody, what'd you do this weekend? Now, again, totally optional because some people just don't want to share the private life fine, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people share pictures of their kids or, or things they did or a concert they went to or a, a show or, or some home improvement project they're working on or whatever. And so every week there's this drip of what people's lives are like because you don't really get to see them. And in fact, in many ways, it actually brings you a lot closer than if you were just in person with meetings because you wouldn't really get to know the people necessarily. You get to know, you get to know them in some, some degree. But the fact that we're like actively asking this thing, like, what did you do this weekend? Helps people see a little bit more into other people's lives. And people are comfortable, some people are very comfortable sharing, others not. So we do that. We also, once a month, Basecamp will ask everybody, you know, what, what have you been reading lately? And so people share books they've been reading and they write out these nice little kind of mini book reports. And it's just another good insight into like, hey, you know, I don't work with this person very often, but wow, she just wrote, read the same book I'm reading. We have something to talk about maybe, or I can, you know, ping her and say, hey, I'm really enjoying this book. That's so cool that you're reading it or whatever. And you start to get to know people on a different level again. So we, we've, we've instituted a number of these sort of automatic recurring questions that are more on the social side of things. We also do work side of things like, what'd you work on today? What are you planning on working on this week? But we've, we've, we've layered in some social stuff, including like, have you tried any new recipes lately? You know, um, have you seen any new movies lately? Or, you know, what's, what's inspired you lately? Things like that. And you just begin to get a nice round picture of, of each person. And it's kind of cool that way. So that's another thing we're able to do. We also do bring people in to Chicago for a week, twice a year. So twice a year, we fly the whole company into Chicago for like a week long meetup. And I know that's only two weeks out of 52, but it's nice because it's pretty much primarily social. We all get dinner together. We all hang out together. We have guest speakers. We people are free to do whatever they want, and it's just a nice, another nice way to do the best we can, given the fact that most people are are scattered around the world. Yeah, how do you make that Chicago time meaningful? Like, do you sort of, do you structure it? Is it a talk every morning, or is it kind of like a free for all? How do you how do you balance yeah. workish time and just hanging out? Well, there's always one talk scheduled on a Monday morning, which is me and David, my business partner, we give sort of a state of the union and share some things we're thinking about. And if it's a really important moment, we share some vision for the next year or wherever it might be. So that, that's always, that always happens then. And then we have basically a schedule inside Basecamp where anyone can post events saying like, Hey, um, I'm going to be giving a talk on Wednesday at one o'clock on this thing I'm working on. Or someone's like, I'm going to give a talk on skateboarding at 10 AM on Thursday. Anyone who wants to show up can show up. So People post their own talks on the, on the schedule, and it's totally up to whoever wants to show up. It's, it's all optional except that first like State of the Union speech, basically. We have lunch, share lunch every day. We have the company dinner on Tuesday night. We also do these things where um, I think it's usually on Wednesday morning we do what we call um, employee recognition awards, basically. But it's not it's not managers. It's, it's peers celebrating each other. So people get to nominate each other and say like, you know, this person went above and beyond over the past six months, or I really appreciate the work this person does, or she's doing this great, or he's doing this great. And I don't know if anyone's noticed what they're doing. And so they're nominated. And then we make these, these really nice wooden, um, spheres, these kind of neat little things that we engrave and give to people. So everyone, so people come up, they'll nominate, we'll make these awards. People will then come up and present to each other. And there's usually like, a lot of hugs and some tears and stuff. It's really a, a special Pretty moment, meaningful actually. people, it sounds like. It is. It is because, you know, we don't all get together. And then when we get together, like, it's kind of like if you don't get together with, a, if you haven't seen a friend for three or four years, and this is, uh, let's just say a year, and you get together with them, that like dinner or hangout is very meaningful. More meaningful than if you were to get together every week. Mm-hmm. Because if you get together every week, it's like, yeah, I'm going to get to every, every week. But if I only get a chance to, once or twice a year to see somebody that I, that I care about or that I put a lot of effort in with, it, it's interesting how more meaningful these weeks become 
we used to make them very more business focused or a lot more business focused. And then we kind of dialed that back because we realized what people really want for this week is a little bit of business, but then mostly social because that's what they don't get enough of the rest of the year. So we've kind of modified that. There's also like, you know, some people who live in Chicago will take people on little tours or they'll say, hey, come to my yoga studio with me or whatever. And they'll kind of play host, yeah. which, is, which is nice. And that sort of thing. One other thing actually we've done um, recently is, so we do this big company dinner on Tuesday nights, but like you have dinner, 54 people around a restaurant or something. It's just hard to see everyone and really talk to everyone when there's 54 people. So now we do, I think it's Monday nights. There is, um, actually maybe it's Wednesday. There's small groups that you can sign up for small group dinners of three or four people. And then there's also ladies night, like all the women in the company have organized a ladies night. I think that's Monday night. Um, so they do, they do something. And so, you know, there's just like different groups decide to do different things with each other. And it's just a really nice week. And, but I'll say this though, we're mostly introverted company and yeah. by Friday, everyone is completely. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'll see you out. again in six months. Yeah. <laughs> enough. They're, they're totally cashed out, but <laughs> it's a really important week. And ours is actually our next one's coming up in a couple of weeks. So looking forward to that. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Have you, um, observed either in yourself or in, in people that you work with at base camp, have people struggled with burnout? Yeah, I think everyone struggles with it from time to time. Sometimes, you know, there's different reasons for it. Sometimes um, someone's sort of at the end of their road in terms of th this particular job, where like the actual job they're doing, the, the work they're doing is no longer motivating them. It's not like they need to go to another company. It's that they just want out of design or out of programming or doing out of- Doing that set of tasks all the time. Yes. So sometimes there's that. Other times there's people- who um, care a little bit too much about the work and they put in a little bit too much time and nobody notices until it's a little bit too late. And then we notice that they're definitely acting like they're burned out where their answers are shorter, they're not maybe as pleasant as they used to be, or they're not as patient or there's something, something's up and we'll you know say, hey, you know, what's going on? Notice this, notice that. And hopefully we can catch that and like give people extra time off or, or get them some help or figure out what's, what the root causes are. And so actually, I'll step back. We, we have a sabbatical program. So every three years, everybody in the company gets a one-month paid sabbatical. And um, one of the reasons we did this is because um, one of our employees was having some, some challenges around mental health and burnout and, and that sort of thing. This is a number of years ago. And we gave this employee some like about a month to help get it sorted out. We offered some help, et cetera. And I won't go beyond that because it's personal, but like, and it really worked. It really was an important thing. And we realized like, you know, we noticed this about him and he noticed this about himself, but perhaps there's other people who aren't bringing this up or we don't notice, like, let's institute this to make sure everyone gets at least a month off every three years. And we also have a generous vacation policy. And that seemed to really help quite a bit that there's a, this release for, for everybody. But primarily what we try to do as best we can is maintain a calm culture without unreasonable expectations. We, we believe eight hours is enough time per day and 40 hours is enough time per week. We shouldn't be working on the weekends and we shouldn't be working at night and there's no ridiculous deadlines that are impossible to meet and that everybody does have the power to cut back on the work that's required. For example, if something's due Friday and it's Tuesday and it just doesn't look like it's gonna get done, they have the power to say, I'm gonna do less of this work, I'm gonna cut this back, you know, versus either like pull all-nighters or, or, or push deadlines. Just like, you know, if it's too much work for whatever reason, like come up with a simpler version of it. And we're okay with that. So people have a lot of control over, over the limits of the work itself. We also recently finally put someone in charge of people ops or HR. We've never really had anyone in a formal position in that role. And now we do. And she's been wonderful helping people. Um, she's meeting with people more frequently. We used to kind of have this attitude, um, which is like, hey, if there's a problem, let us know, which is a terrible attitude because most people don't let you know. And we had to mature there as an, as an organization. Um, and now we, we do frequent one-on-ones with everybody. There's now a place to go. It used to be people would come to me or David, but coming to the owners, is it's never a welcoming, comforting thing to do. Even if you say like, my door is always open and I'm always accessible. Like it doesn't matter. Like there's as a- you said in your book, that's a cop-out? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a total cop-out. My door is always open as a cop-out because there's, there's inherently a power dynamic here. And who wants to go to the owner yeah. And like complain about something. Like I totally get have, that. So have an issue with a coworker or confess that they're have postpartum depression. I mean, yeah, all those things get real tricky when there's a power dynamic. Absolutely. Doesn't matter like how welcoming we might be. It doesn't matter. It's like, 
it, it just doesn't work. So, so we finally have someone now in charge. So, so a lot of people are going to her and, 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 and she's getting, giving them a lot of help. And there's a lot more things we're doing now internally to, to help people with, with those issues. And, and, but we had to grow into that. We didn't really realize it was a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a deep problem for us, but there's enough of a problem. When you have 54 people, there's certainly always going to be people who need, need a hand there. And now we, we formalize that. So I think that's, that's good. And we're still always learning about new opportunities. In fact, like we just had a new benefit recently. I think our health insurance, it's either our health insurance or our life insurance benefit has a, like a mental health uh, consulting kind of phone number, at least that you can call and get some help. If you don't want to ask someone in the company, because mm-hmm. even though we have someone dedicated to that, there's still a stigma sometimes with like talking about this to someone who reports to me and they don't m- maybe sure. want someone to know. So there's now some outside help that people can get that's included with, with their benefits package. Do you all have overt conversations about depression, anxiety, things that fall under that mental health umbrella? We're beginning to. Um, we actually have a speaker, I believe, at this next meetup who's going to be talking about some of those things. We also have a um, we have a, one of our base camp projects set up is called Care Camp, which is set up by like it's a, it's a volunteer thing internally where people sort of share their own methods for self-care. And people can ask questions about that. And uh, people are, you know, whoever's comfortable sharing is free to share. It's been actually a really nice, nice little corner of the company for people to go to and, and get help from one another if they're if they're struggling with something. Now, that's not private. And it's not like it's not private because it's, it's open to everybody in the company. So it, it wouldn't be a place where you'd go where you need to say something privately. But it's a place to go where you want to ask for help publicly from your coworkers or, hey, how does anyone cope with this? Or how do you deal with this kind of stress or What's your routine, you know, around breathing or whatever it might be? Okay. There's not a place for that. So we're beginning, people are talking about that internally and there's a place to turn. And we are, you know, bringing in some more people to talk about this uh, across the company. But I think it's super important. And, and I, I don't think you could ever really do enough. And uh, we're, we're beginning to do more. And I think we'll do more and more and more over time. Even something- actually, one other thing, sorry, to, I keep thinking as you <laughs> thinking about these. We actually also instituted something where, you know, people used to be able to take You'd always hear people taking sick leave, right? Or like personal time for, for, for an illness or something. But that kind of rarely historically extended to mental illness. It was always like, well, I'm in the hospital for two weeks because I broke my arm or whatever. Or you wouldn't be in the hospital for that, but whatever. Yeah. And it was always like, well, of course, like you're in the hospital, like take, take whatever time you need, you know, to get, to get well or whatever it is. But if it was a mental health issue, that wasn't really seen as, as equivalent in, in a sense. You know, it was just seen as like, well, deal with it or, you know, or, you know, that's your own time to, to figure that right. stuff out. Stop but, being but, sad, get back to work now. Right. And we've, we've changed that now. So now like any sort of health time you need off for whatever, like it extends to any kind of, of health issue, mental, physical, whatever it might be. So, so we've, we've kind of made that more available too. And so we're, we're learning and we're doing better and better here over time. Yeah. I like even something like care camp, which which is sort of crowdsourcing wisdom and it's destigmatizing and it's it's de-isolating the conversation from something that happens in, in sort of the corners and the shadowy private to something that you can say like, hey, I'm having trouble managing my anxiety. How do y'all do it? Totally. Yeah. And of course, if you need professional help, you go somewhere else. But a lot of the times it's like, it is a good place to start at least. Like I'm, I'm finding, you know, I'm finding myself having a hard time with this or that, like, what have you done? What have you done? And, and, yeah. and, and people are so helpful. It's amazing. Like how helpful people are when, when you just admit that like you need a little bit of help. I mean, everyone wants to help in that case, in that situation. So it's, it's been very, very nice thing to, to have in the company. Why is calm so important to you? I don't know. Like, I, I don't like to be, I don't like things to be hectic around me personally, just in general. So there's, there's a little bit of the selfishness of it, I would say. Like, I, I just don't I like want to be in that environment. Yeah, I like it that way. But but mostly I think it's it's important because it, it basically says, like, we don't need to rush through these things. Um, what is the rush? And I'd like people to be in a good mental state and physical state and not have unreasonable expectations beating down on them when they make decisions and when we have conversations. If you're always high strung and things are things are always, like, you know, impossible deadlines, we call them dreadlines. You know, if, if people are... Um, the expectations are completely unreasonable. The expectations of growth, expectations of getting things done on, on deadlines that are impossible, hitting targets that are completely unreasonable. You know, it's not a pleasant place to be. Everyone, everyone's nervous. Everyone's scared. Everyone feels like they're going to be fired all the time. And like, who wants to just go into that environment every single day? I mean, there's certainly moments in any in any company or when there's an emergency or there's something truly urgent. I mean, of course, like then you you step up and like, 
you may have to put in a couple hours here, or like you may have to be more vigilant here or there. But that shouldn't be the constant state of things. I mean, I think when the constant state of things is 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 this this idea that that it's it's crazy at work all the time, and that I'm constantly busy, and I, I can't get anything done, and I'm in meetings all day, and then I'm but I'm still expected to do work, and so it's eating into my 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 personal life, and I have no weekends. It's like that becomes the norm. You're just going to lose people. You're probably not going to do great work. If people aren't sleeping, they're not going to be really creative and thoughtful, and they're not going to be patient with one another, and they're not going to listen. They tend to just to talk. So I think you get a whole bunch of benefits from it. Plus, it just it's, it just feels like a better place to be. I know some people like the sort of boiler room, war room style. The adrenaline. Thing. The adrenaline. I get that. I mean... I think adrenaline is supposed to be something that you get occasionally, you know, fear of flight kind of situation. Like it shouldn't be, I don't think it should be the norm every day you walk into a hot house where it's just out of control. Like it doesn't seem right to me. So also the other thing I'll say is that, you know, we've been in business for 20 years. This is our 20th year and we want to build a sustainable company that'll be around for a long time. And I think if you're in a different path, if you're on a different path where you maybe go raise a bunch of money and and you're trying to like hit it big in five years or, or go bust, like, in some ways, I can understand why some people would feel like you need to run as hard as you can because it's almost going to be over anyway. For us, it's it's a long, long run. You know, it's a marathon or I don't want to throw the analogies in there, but like it's a long thing. We hope to be in business 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know if we can, right? And so if you do that, you have to maintain or you have to practice a certain discipline that you can maintain and sustainable that won't burn you out, won't burn out your employees because it's, it's hard to find good people. It's expensive to hire new people. Okay. So like I can layer all these things in, into why I think it's important to be calm. What does calm feel like to you, like in your body? And I ask because I talk with a lot of people and they sort of forget what it feels like to be calm. Like they've lost the, the physiological sort of framework of that. Yeah. Um, the number one thing is having an open day ahead of me. So for example, at base camp, we don't have shared calendars. So I can't see what anyone else is doing during the given, given day in terms of time blocks, and they can't see what I'm doing. And everyone has a full eight hours to themselves by default on any, any given day. To me, that is the beginning of calm. Because if your day is chunked up so much that you can't even be by yourself to think for an hour or two, I think it's very hard to maintain a sense of calm. So for me, like having time to think and to spread out mentally is kind of what it means to me. And not to feel like, not to have to take a deep breath before I start the day. Not to, be, not, like, not to feel like, all right, here we go. This is going to suck. Like, like I, you're, you're I, jumping into a cold swimming pool. Like yeah. brace yourself. Right. I just don't want to feel that way. So physically, that's what it is for me. It's just feeling like there's space around, like physically, literally feeling like there's space around me. And that space is time mm-hmm. and the ability to think and that no one's breathing down my neck and I'm not breathing down anyone else's neck. And there's no unreasonable, no one has an unreasonable work schedule like that. Those kinds of things are, are really important to me. Again, that's not to say that like there are moments when like I get frustrated about something or like I wish something was done a certain way and it wasn't or, or whatever. I mean, you have things, a full range of human emotions, Jason. Yes. Is, that, is that what you're saying? Okay. I think that's Extremely fair. full range. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the baseline should, should not be sweating, you know? Yeah. It should be able to, that's be able on to an as needed basis. Only. Yes. And you do need those things sometimes. So like yeah. some people will say like, do you guys just like do nothing all day? Like, no, we're very active. We, we're, we're very productive. We're doing a lot of stuff and there's a lot of conversations happening and that, there's that, but everyone's really in control of their own time and their own day. And I think that's kind of almost the only way to really get there because if your schedule and your day is determined by other people being able to, to, to make it whatever they want it to be, it's very hard to get into a rhythm that you can sort of calm down and, and think clearly. Yeah. So you've had this this very long working history with David, 20 years at least. Almost, um, yeah. Has your trust battery ever diminished with him? And if so, have you fixed it? Um, you charged it, I should say. Yeah. I think David and I have a, a unique relationship. We see 90% of the world the same way, I think. And um, because of that, when we battle on things occasionally, um, or we argue or we debate, we know that it's not going to be a never-ending situation where like everything we're going to disagree. Mm-hmm. If, if we disagree about everything, it becomes very taxing 
very quickly. And then you stop talking because you don't want to just get into a fight every time you talk. And I know a lot of founders who have co-founders who just disagree about, I think, too many things. And at some level, some people think it's good because you have multiple viewpoints, whatever. But I really think you need to have a pretty closely shared viewpoint on most things and then leave some room for some, you know, really fundamental disagreement on a couple things. So I think we, we've, we've been able to maintain a really good working relationship for, for a long, long time now. And I think it's, it's, it's due to the fact that we both, I think, respect one another. We're able to, to go hard at each other occasionally when necessary. We know it's the service of, you know, the product. So I don't think we've had trust battery issues. I mean, you have to ask him, but I, I really feel like we have each other's back and our trust level has always been, I think, very high. Yeah, I don't think I've, I've had that. I've had that. I've had trust battery issues with other people and people have had it with me and we've had to rebuild it and to remember that it's, it's again, I know there's like some situations right now in the company where there's some people who don't, who don't think, let's see, how would I put it? They, they, they may not think I like them for some reason. Like I've, I've heard some things. Um, and, and, and like, I don't know where it came from, but like we have some rebuilding to do in some situations. But I think that the key is, is that it's, uh, it takes a while to, to, to do that and to find the opportunities where you can recharge. You can't just jump into those situations. And so I think it's good to ultimately find a project to work on with somebody or something like that. That's how I've, in the past, I've seen people rebuild each other's trust batteries. Like, in fact, there's a couple people working on a project right now who, who just kind of had pretty low charges against one another. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's funny because it wasn't really because of anything that they did to one another. It was an absence of, of, of interaction. And then hearing about one another from other people and you begin to form a picture of somebody when you haven't had the direct experience. And so we kind of put them together on a project. And I think it's going to turn out really well because I think that they're going to actually see that they see eye to eye to most things and their, and their level of detail and quality is very, very similar. And I think it's going to give them an opportunity to have a good, good opportunity to, to work together. Another, another example of this actually was, so David and Ryan, so Ryan's a guy who's been also here for about 15 years. He's our fourth employee ever. And he's still with us and he's fantastic. But David and Ryan used to have some real headbutt. They used to headbutt a lot and their trust batteries were low. And it was interesting. We, we had to figure out why this was, because if you were to separate them and talk to them each at the same time, like they'd actually come from similar angles in a sense, like, and they really respected each other's point of view, but they were just always arguing every time they talked. And it turned out that what we figured out was they didn't talk enough. And whenever they talked, so, okay, Ryan's head of strategy here. So whenever Ryan and David and I talk, we're usually talking about something that's really fundamentally core and important. Like we're making decisions that are, that affect the whole company. And so they're kind of high pressure decisions in a sense. And the only time that David and Ryan were talking was in those situations. I would talk to Ryan all the time because we worked in design projects together and stuff, but David and Ryan only talked when we had to make a really important decision. And that's when we were all having like difficult conversations. And so, so the intensity only- is like nine out of 10 for every conversation that they're having. Exactly. Right. That's a better way of putting it. And so like, there's a point where like they didn't want to talk to each other because it always ended in like this sort of heated debate. And, mm-hmm. and at some point it becomes tiring. And we kind of realized like, well, the only reason this is happening is because you're only talking in incredibly critical moments. So therefore that's the only experience you have with one another. And so, you know, we started to talk in other ways and like the relationship is completely repaired. And it just was a moment of like figuring out what was going on there and, and realizing that it was the situation. It wasn't actually the, the people so much as it was the situation we were putting the people into. And so anyway, there've been moments with, with, with other people like that and, and you usually address that through some kind of collaboration that's mixing up that pattern of interaction. So it's more fun, a little lighter or more serious, depending on what the interaction pattern has been. Yeah. Or another one is actually like collaborating on something versus having one person tell something, someone else something to do. So there's been situations where someone was like a structurally superior to somebody else, you know, according to job titles. And they would, they would ask someone to do something. And it just always this like ask someone to do something relationship. You know, when that happens, sometimes depending on the situation, it can, it can feel like, well, I'm just being told, I'm just being told what to do. I don't have any say in this. I'm not like, I have a creative mind, but I'm not being asked to be creative or whatever it is. And so sort of 
align them on a project where 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 they're both equally in charge is another good way to kind of um, rebuild the charge essentially where they can work together versus having that relationship of I give everything to you. So that's a long answer to say that David and I actually have a pretty I think have had a really strong and consistent relationship over the nearly 20 years we've we've known each other. Cool. What's something that's bringing you joy right now? Uh at work in life what where do you want to Whatever. Go? <laughs> but we have a seventh month old daughter. So that's, that's wonderful. And she's like, just smiles constantly. And it reminds me how powerful a simple smile is. Cause she's just yeah. smiling all the time. It's almost like she's a robot that just is set to smile. Like, yes. Something seems weird almost, it's, but it's, it's wonderful. And so like that, that clearly is something, um, spring. So as we were talking a little bit before, before I, I'm assuming before you started recording, we were talking about, cause you're in Minnesota, I'm in Chicago. It's April kind of not always the most pleasant month because it's like, come on already. But like, I'm looking out my window and I'm seeing the beginning of spring, the, the small, tiny leaf buds popping, the, the crocus coming out of the ground, like tiny little flowers, green, you know, poking its head through the brown dirt. Like to me, that this is the best time of the year. It's sort of the end of a long dark winter in a sense and the beginning of the rest of the year and the beginning of, of seeing life like life come back mm-hmm. and I, I think that for me if if i i've always thought like it'd be fun to chase spring across the country for like a as a as a like a one month sabbatical yeah like start i don't know actually i mean you probably concern the west coast because it's always kind of nice but you start somewhere where like it's not nice and you just kind of drive i guess you'd be driving west or no you'd be driving east you mean north east, i think north North and East, perhaps. Right. Yeah. And then you'd sort of catch it as you go. I always thought that'd be a fun project or fun thing to do, but I like spring. So spring for me is, is great. And then the other thing, like just to bring it back to work for a moment, since we're kind of talking mostly about that so far, um, we're actually working on a new product and that's something we said we wouldn't do again. We said back in, I think it was 2014, that we're going to focus entirely all of our energy on Basecamp. We renamed the company Basecamp and we've been that way for four years now or so, five years. But there's been something that's been itching us for a little bit, and we decided to to begin to build something new. I don't know when it's going to come out. We're hoping by the end of the year. But it really f- reminds me how how much fun it is to start something new and to be able to bring new ideas into something from scratch. Because when you have a product like Basecamp that's that's used by you know millions of people and a hundred thousand companies, you just ha- you have to be mindful of major changes will upset the cart in all the wrong ways, even if they're better technically or whatever, like yeah. you just can't really shake the tree that much. When you make something new, there are no expectations and, and it kind of frees you to, to do something new and, and stretch, stretch your skills in a new way. So from the work perspective, that's really uh, fun. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is like, we're going to spend as a family, we're going to, the four of us, my wife and my two kids, we're going to go out to um, Amsterdam for, for a month this, this late spring and we were there a few years ago and loved it. So we're going to do that. So I'm looking Fantastic. forward to that. And those are the kinds of things that I'm, I'm happy about right now. Super fun place with kids too. Oh, like lots of long walks and swans and ice cream and flower, <laughs> you know, it's just like lovely. It's beautiful. And they have so many parks there. Um, and I just found the, 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 the culture is so welcoming and warm around kids. I don't know. It's just, it's a special city. And when we did it last time, our son was like a year and a half old or something like that. And it was really, really magical and we, we enjoyed it. So now it's going to be fun to go back with him. He's four and a half now and, and our daughter is seven months and just kind of see the city again. And um, we, we met some people, so we'll kind of see some people that we, we got to know. And also one of our good friends from Chicago, his whole family moved there on a whim like for a year and they've stayed there for now five years. And I think they're like permanently going to be there forever. So it'll be good to see them. And anyway, that's that. That's awesome. That's fantastic. What about you? What's bringing you joy? What's uh, interesting for you right now? My kids are making creative, cool things. Like Mm -hmm. they've been into making this card trading game where they have selected a stuffed animal and then they make like 30 cards around that stuffed animal. So one of them is making his cards around a fish, an angler fish. And so he's making 
a cake angler and a Spider-Man angler and all these different anglers, but they make this like really cool art and then Mm -hmm. they make a backstory for each of the creatures. So I think it's like Magic the Gathering plus stuffed animals plus comic books plus all this stuff, but they're super into it and they spend like hours drying on the floor and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. That's bringing me a lot of joy to see them make things and also to like sit quietly and drink tea and have in my own mind. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, that's that sounds fun. It's fun to see kids make make stuff. And it's funny because when 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 adults make things, the question is like, well, what do you what are you making and like how does it work in some ways? But like when kids make things, it's it's they don't really it's not about that so much. I mean it can be, especially I'm assuming as they get older, but but it's just like this moment of creation. Like I almost feel like they sometimes don't really know what they're doing and they're totally cool with that. Like they're they're just, doing it because it's cool and because yeah. it brings them joy, period. Yeah. There's no period. other motivation to make something as a kid right? except that it's cool or fun. It, it's such a good reminder that just like just sometimes making stuff is yeah. like I've always thought like if I retired or whatever, stop doing this or just said like I'm giving it up, whatever. I think I just want to be a, a potter. Like I'd love to just like throw pots like or make yeah. ceramics. I just would love to do that because you just get to make something new like you have an idea you get this piece of clay this chunk or whatever and you turn the wheel on and like you mold it and like who knows kind of what you end up with and I've, I've always liked that about that medium but like it's as an adult you want to sit down and go like I'm I know what I'm doing I'm doing it for this reason and it's like sometimes just it's hard not to I guess as an adult to just to make things well to justify the hard time to do. yeah yeah perhaps that's what it is I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about that like why you and David have decided to write so much I mean Right. They could just run base camp and do that, but you've decided to write about it. What what about that felt important or? Yeah, well, it feels it? like part of the job, actually. So it is part of running base camp, which is sharing as much as we possibly can about what we've learned and what we know and our point of view, because I, I we've always felt like there's no there's no reason to keep it um, to ourselves. And if we have something to say that we think can benefit someone else or can push the industry forward in some way or or can question the industry or whatever. We might as well do that and might as well share it. And, you know, we, we don't we don't have a schedule necessarily to write. We've never had a schedule on our blog. We just, if we have something to say, we write it down and we, we share it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very few things we write and just share internally, unless it's like truly private stuff. But otherwise, it's just, you know, blog posts. And then it seems to be every five years or so, we have we've had enough experiences to put together a book about what we've been thinking about, what we've been working on over five years, but it actually we're writing something else right now. We're putting together, I'm, Dave and I are not, but Ryan is here, a extremely detailed guide on how we work. And it's going to be free. It's going to be a website. It's actually was written as a book, but we've decided to make it a website. And it's going to be, cause we get a lot of questions like, how do you guys actually do what you do on a day-to-day basis in terms of making products and whatnot. And so we've broken it down and we are going to write that, we're writing that up. And it's also, it serves, you know, it's also when we write things for the outside world, it's also for the inside world for, okay. for our own company. Like, here's what we believe and here's why we believe these things. And here's the things that are important to us. And I've always been um, inspired by chefs in this regard. So chefs open restaurants or chefs or chefs and, and they write books and their, their books are cookbooks, they're recipes. They're basically saying, here's what I know how to make. Here's exactly how I make it. And I'm going to put it in a book so you can make it too. I'm not afraid as a chef that you're not going to come to my restaurant anymore because I told you how to make my, you know, tagliatelle bolognese or whatever. You know, like, like, no, I want you to know how to make what I, what I do. And maybe you'll come to a restaurant and taste my food too. And I'm also not worried about someone buying my cookbook and opening up and reading all the recipes and mastering them and opening a restaurant next to mine and putting me out of business. No, I just want to share the things that I have. It, it helps my business. It also helps me get the word out. It helps people become better cooks. It helps people cook at home and be healthy, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And so, so they do this and I feel like we're, we're basically doing the same thing. We're writing up our recipes mm-hmm. and we're sharing them in these books that we see these books as actually our cookbooks, um, which is, of course, they're not, it's not food. It's, it's ideas and how to work. So that's kind of why we do it. And we also enjoy writing, just a fun thing to do. Part of that creative part of you. What yeah. is, do you have a sense of what people misunderstand about Basecamp or about how you all work? What's the mistake that folks make or the misinterpretation? That's a, that's a really good question. You know, it's so hard to answer that. From the I'm inside. asking you to get inside someone else's mind. So I appreciate yeah. that. But. Well, I, can, I mean, I would say that there's, there's um, I, I'll come at it from a few different directions. One is that um, 
for a long time, I remember people just thought we were like a marketing company. It's like, uh, they make products that are really easy to make. So it's just marketing. It's all marketing. And it's like, we don't actually do any of that. We don't have a marketing department. We don't have marketing people. We don't spend money on advertising. We just share and talk and share a point of view. And so um, we do think the products stand up for themselves and that people talk about them. And the reason our business has grown is because it's grown from word of mouth. It's not grown because we paid anyone to, to use our products or we've had to buy anyone's attention. It's like it spreads slowly and gradually. So I think like there was that early on that we we're just like, we're, we're good marketers. I, I don't think we actually are very good marketers. Um, I think we're good sharers. And or that's a thing. It's not really a word, I don't think. But like, you know what I mean? So there's that. I think there's also a notion that we don't do what we say. So so that like, it's impossible to work eight hour days. Like, it's impossible to work 40 hour weeks. Like, or back way in the day when you first started, you must have been doing 100 hour weeks and all nighters. Like, no, we just have not. Like, eight hours is plenty of time. In fact, as I've said before, like if you, if you don't think eight hours is a long time, go get in an airplane at, in Chicago and fly to London. Yep. That's eight hours. And I guarantee you it, that's a long time. You're going to be looking at your watch. Like, is it almost over yet? You're like, Oh my God, it's only halfway done. Like mm-hmm. what? Eight hours is a lot of time. And so when people don't believe that we actually do work eight hour days and 40 hour weeks, and we don't spaz out about things and we don't, keep pushing deadlines month after month, after month, after month, like know that we can actually get work done in six weeks and you know, whatnot. And, and, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that they, they, they just don't believe it's possible. And that's because of their own experiences. Uh, and I get that. I think there's some of that. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. What, what do you think? Do you have a sense? Do you know enough about what people would say about us? I mean, I always feel like, you know, I, I do think y'all are, are held up as do. this, you know, I, cause I obviously talk a lot with people about mental health and how to be healthy at work and how to be well at work. And people will say, well, we want to do it like Basecamp does, where it's just really calm and we, you know, we don't have meetings and people get a lot of work done. But they also, it, it has a sort of like Never Neverland feel. Like yeah. the last boys can do that, but not real people. Um, well, and I, you know, I think that's what you're saying. Like it, it sounds so idyllic because we've created such a fiction around what's necessary for success that... I think people think that if you're not busy like if you're not feeling busy then you're slacking off or something yeah that, that you're not working as hard as you could be or whatever it's like this whole idea of working as hard as you could be I, I don't really know where that needs to come from like it's not you don't need to work as hard as you could be like that's not something you need to do to begin with I think if people were able to sort of just watch how we work they would see that um, there's actually quite a bit of conversation happening so we do talk to each other a lot but we talk to each other asynchronously. Mm-hmm. So we post things to Basecamp and there's no expectation of immediate response. It's like, mm-hmm. I write an idea up, someone gets, someone maybe comments on it eight hours later or the next morning, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Versus pulling everyone in a room and talking about things. Uh, when you do that, like sometimes it's valuable, certainly, there's no question about it. But oftentimes I think you're, you're turning something that's slow time, that could be better off handled as slow time into fast time and everyone has to just answer questions immediately. And it's like, not necessarily. So I think I think that there's a lot of conversations just asynchronous. I think the other thing people would see is that we actually make just we make swift decisions. I think that's kind of one of the key things is the ability to make calls and mm-hmm. and have conviction in them and move on and and, and go. Um, versus, uh, you know, a lot of the reasons I think a lot of things take a long time is because people you know they're not sure what to do and they don't know. And the answer is we don't know and we're not sure either. But we so let's we go this way and we go. Yeah. And, and if it's if it's wrong, we can correct it later. But like the, the idea that you can wait, that waiting will get you the right answer. I just usually, sometimes, sometimes, yes. Like sometimes you need more information than you don't have, than you have, and you need to do more research. Sometimes that's true, but not about everything. I'd much rather like basically make quick calls, like listen, make make a call and go and, and, and get the thing going, than try and be right every single time. Because even when you try and be right every single time, you're not. Anyway, I think those are some of the things. I don't know. It, it's an interesting question. I should think more about it. But um, I would also say that that on the flip side, too, I think that from the product perspective, I think that there are probably a number of people who think um, Basecamp is old. Basecamp is not like modern or the not not the most current, the, the, the new kid on the block kind of thing. And that's true. We are not the new kid on the block. But um, we redo the product from scratch every three or four years or four years, basically. And today's Basecamp is thoroughly modern. And, uh, and can replace, like you can, 
you can, if you use Basecamp, you don't need to use Slack or Trello or Asana or Jira or Google Docs or a calendar. Like it's all in one place. And I think over the years, people have sort of forgotten about that and, or perceived us as we haven't changed because the product's been around for so long. So that's something we have to combat as well, which is a challenge to, Mm -hmm. to get people to look at you again, who may have looked at you eight years ago. Most companies that we're competing with didn't exist eight years ago. So, so there's an interesting challenge there, which I think is maybe something that people get wrong about us, but that's our fault. We need to figure that out. Yeah. Hey, I so appreciated being able to uh, email you and say, Hey, do you want to do this? And you saying, yes, when do you want to do it? And I sent you a couple times and we found a time and we did it. And there wasn't like (laughs) Calendly or an assistant or like 18 sort of steps to get through your, to your calendar. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I don't have an assistant who manages my calendar because my calendar is pretty much wide open. So I'm like, Hey, when are you free? Throw out a couple of dates. Certainly one of those will work. Let's do it. And the other thing is that um, I tend not to book things very far in advance. Mm-hmm. I find that to be sort of a bad way to go about things. Now, sometimes you have to like travel or something like that, but like, I tend to be like, yeah, this, this sounds like it'd be fun. Um, let's, when are you free? let's do it. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. So yeah. I'm glad you were able to do it too. And we were able to find a time that worked and that, that you asked and that we got to meet up at the, uh, at the conference. So, um, yeah, it was great. Thanks. Hey, yeah. Well, thank you. As somebody who uh, cares deeply about mental health and people being well at work, I'm a huge fan and love your work. And of course your, your most recent book has, I think become sort of a Bible of sorts to people in my line of work who are trying to bridge the conversation between wellness and sanity and what that actually looks like in the day-to-day job. So Thank you. You've Thank made you. my job a lot easier. Now Thanks. I can be like, you know, Jason Reed said this, okay? DJ said this. <laughs> Please. No, no, no. No one. No one's going to know who that is in your world, I'm sure. But speaking of this, we should maybe consider having you come speak to us sometime at a future meetup. So we'll have one, we have one in two weeks, which is too soon because we already have some stuff going on, but perhaps in the fall. Um, we I would be thrilled. October. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll touch base about that. Save the day. All right. All right. Take good care. Great. Thanks so much. Bye. See you around. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.